Shalom and welcome to the Vibe of the Tribe podcast from JewishBoston.com. I'm Miriam Anzevin, and I'm joined by Kali Foxman, director of Jewish Boston. Hi, Kali. Hi, Miriam. I'm glad to be here today to talk about something really important. That's right. Kali and I have a unique episode for you, one that's deeply personal and touches upon an experience that many people have dealt with, divorce. There are a few reasons we chose to explore this subject. First and most important, we've been through it. While there are plenty of resources out there about Jewish weddings, the issue of Jewish divorce is not as widely discussed, and we want to help change that. Before she became my boss, Kali was my friend. Over the past years, I've been so grateful to have her guidance on many life milestones, especially one that neither of us ever imagined was going to be part of our life journeys. Throughout this episode, we'll be using a few Hebrew terms to describe the process of getting divorced in the Jewish tradition. We're going to be talking about the ketubah, a Jewish marriage contract, the get, or Jewish divorce, in which a husband relinquishes his legal claim to his wife, the Beit Din, which means rabbinic court, Agunah, and its plural Agunot, which means chained woman, a woman whose husband has refused to grant her a get, effectively trapping her in their marriage, and Halacha or Halachik, the Hebrew term used to refer to Jewish law. Please keep in mind that this conversation is in the context of heterosexual marriage between a man and a woman, as that was our experience. The issue of Jewish divorce also looks very different in America versus in Israel, which we'll get into later. In the meantime, here's where our own personal experiences in Boston come in. After I was divorced in 2016, I received a get request from my ex-husband a year later. It was a total surprise. I chose not to appear at the Beit Dean, but I still technically participated in the process and received notification in the mail afterward that I was officially divorced according to Jewish law. And I got divorced in May 2019. Kali actually accompanied me. The get and the fear of becoming an aguna was always on my mind and became part of my civil separation agreement. I attended the Boston Beit Dean to receive my get a month after I appeared in civil court. Throughout this episode, you'll hear more about our individual stories and experiences and what two experts have to say about these complex issues. We spoke with Leah Lipsker, a Jewish educator and director of the Boston Aguna Task Force, a project of the Hadassah Brandeis Institute, which is funded by a generous grant from the Miriam Fund at Combined Jewish Philanthropies. The Boston Aguna Task Force is devoted to research, education, and advocacy for fairness in the Jewish divorce process. It also offers the website getyourget.com to help women through the process. We also spoke with Dr. Susan Weiss, founder of the Center for Women's Justice, which is leading the legal battle for women's equality, dignity, and justice under Jewish law in Israel. In this episode, you'll hear insights from both women about the state of Jewish marriage and divorce in the U.S. and Israel. As you listen to this episode, you'll hear that Leah and Susan have very different approaches that impact how they view Jewish divorce and their work on this issue. Throughout the episode, we share excerpts from separate and sometimes emotional conversations we had with each of them. These conversations include lots of our feelings on the subject because honestly, divorce is one of the hardest things we've ever been through. We're putting ourselves out there with a hope that this can help other people. 
Before we talk about how marriages end, it's important to note how they begin. The Jewish concept of marriage might be a bit misunderstood. Jewish educator Leah Lipsker explained. I think, first of all, there's a misunderstanding mm. about Jewish marriage. I think that's where that begins. I think that um, people think of a Jewish marriage in terms of a ketubah yeah. and a chuppah. Yeah. Both of those things are very new, newish. I'm they're more than you know, they're yeah, they're, but ish. they're not. But they're not biblical. Mm-hmm. They're not even right. There was um, a concept of marriage that was much more simple in biblical times, mm. and you could marry someone by um, giving by really through intent, through intention, through a ring, mm-hmm. um, and through sex. Mm-hmm. Those are three ways that someone could be considered married. Now, people who get married without a ketubah or without a chuppah still have those three things. Dr. Susan Weiss said in issues of marriage and divorce, the status of women is the same. They are deemed to be essentially property. Let's look at an Orthodox Jewish woman. What wedding? What happens? Uh, there, are, there are all these witnesses to the contractual arrangement that's about to happen, and if you notice, the bride doesn't say anything, right? It's only the man that says something. You are hereby sanctified to me. And you're going to say, sanctified, sanctified, sanctified. And the translation, it's, the word is mekudeshet in Hebrew. And that word is not really well translated into sanctification. It's more like, here you are hereby set aside for me. And... Um, and the word kinyan, which is a word for purchase contract. So the, act, the, the actual act that occurs here is a man purchases his bride. But in a sense, um, this, this contract has a lot of consequences. The man owns the sexuality of his wife. He's an exclusive lien on his wife. She does not have an exclusive lien on him. Um, and so he is the one that releases her. He bought you, and now he releases That's you. That's right. Uh, it, it's he who acts, and and he he who takes, and he who gets rid of you. So that now that's an extreme uh, description of what is essentially a very patriarchal, um, misogynist, androcentric system. There's a lot of confusion surrounding Jewish divorce, even within the Jewish community. Many people don't know how important the issue is and the impact it can have. Leah, who started the Get Your Get website, explained why the get is such a critical but misunderstood part of the divorce process. There are there is so much um, sort of outreach about things like Shabbat or things yes. like you know even synagogue participation or Rosh Hashanah, but get divorce we just don't talk about it. And the truth is is that um, get is a mitzvah. Yeah. There's a way to get into a marriage, and there's a wonderful, actually, way to get out. And it could provide spiritual closer, closure, excuse me. And there's just a lot of confusion around it, and there shouldn't be. Yeah. So um, my original intent was to start a website simply for really good information about why a person might want to get a get if they're not observant. Um, where do you go to get a get? How much does it cost to get a get? Like, so literally, I was just trying to provide that kind of information. 
you're not religious, you have no idea what even what a rabbinical court is, right? You go to Google and yeah. you hope and pray. And there wasn't much. That's what I discovered. So what was interesting was that in the work that I've done, which is, I don't know, six, seven, eight years, I don't remember anymore, but um, we came across this issue of get refusal. And we kept coming up again and again and again. And our work um, began with a partnership with the rabbinical court in Boston. And what we first determined was that there was a real need for a female presence there mm. just to facilitate the divorces that were happening. About once a week, actually, there's a divorce. There's a get process um, going on in the rabbinical court in Boston, which is in Kenmore Square. And we formed a relationship with with the rabbinical court. And we started doing two things that really were um, groundbreaking. We decided that a woman needs to be present at every divorce. I was doing it for many years. And it was um, the only, I would say maybe there were five rabbinical courts around the world that were doing this. Wow. It was really at the forefront. It was at the forefront. And as you probably know, and I would love to hear more, it's intimidating. Susan said that even though she had a law degree when she got married and was marrying another lawyer, she didn't understand the potential legal consequences of Jewish marriage. I didn't come to this uh, understanding immediately. Uh, You know, when I got married, I had already had a law degree Mm -hmm. and I was marrying a lawyer and I had no clue that uh, that my getting married, you know, in in this manner of the tribe, had those type of legal consequences. So, for example, one uh, one of those legal consequences, my, my husband has two brothers, and what I did not know is that if God forbid he had died before we had children, his two brothers would have had to release me of an obligation to marry them. It's called chalitza and dibum and chalitza. Under Jewish law, that's very real. And I did not know that or even didn't think about that. And another consequence of getting married in this manner is that you have nothing to say about the divorce. He's the one in control of the divorce. So if he, if he doesn't want to give you a divorce, right, then you're still married to him. You're held in what's essentially marital captivity Mm -hmm. because of this patriarchal system. Mm -hmm. Now, this is this way of categorizing what happens in Jewish marriage is something that I really learned pretty quickly, actually, when I started working in Israel as a divorce attorney. And when I got to Israel, I... I had a few children under tow, and I started volunteering for the women's organizations and quite quickly saw that there was a problem for Jewish women who couldn't get divorced, who were holding, who were getting held in marital captivity. This is clearly a huge issue, both here and in Israel, and it's a process that can be really daunting. I told Leah about my experience with the Boston Beit Dean. Um, I can say that you know, just to go back to what you were saying before about, you know, lack of knowledge around this issue, I uh, was raised modern Orthodox. I went to Alubavitch Yeshiva for a few years. My degree is in Judaic studies. And yet, you know, right now I, I'm not practicing. I'm not uh, observant of the mitzvot uh, right now. And at the time of my marriage, um, nine, well, 10 years ago now, uh, to my ex-husband, uh, neither of us were religious. I did not have what I thought of as the 
quote-unquote traditional aspects of a Jewish marriage, such as a ketubah, the uh, marriage document. So I thought when, you know, unfortunately uh, it became clear that we were going to divorce, uh, oh, I don't need a get. I'm fine. I didn't have a religious ceremony. So this question of um, being having um, a get or having a religious divorce never even occurred to me. And then my mother, who still is an Orthodox woman, suggested, mm, you might want to just get that checked on mm. <laughs> real quick just to make sure. And so I called the Boston Bay Dean, who were really lovely and super helpful to me. Um, I think that, uh, you know, every conversation I had to the, uh, with them, they were really great in terms of um, their kindness. And, and I was initially quite fearful or apprehensive because all I had heard, all the information I did have was horror stories, not specifically about this Boston Bay Dean, just about the concept of being a chained woman, an aguna. And that can go really, really badly for a lot of women. And so my fear was that, you know, for whatever reason, I would be unable to have that like religious separation as well. Once it became clear that the suggestion from the Boston Bay Dean was that I receive a get, even though I did not have a ketubah. Um, so what their recommendation was, and I followed it, was to uh, kind of state in my civil divorce agreement with my ex-husband that uh, he would reach out to the Boston Bay Dean within, the, within a month of appearing in court and start the get process. So the judge in my civil hearing actually mentioned that to my ex-husband and made sure that he understood that was the legal requirement that he had to do according to Massachusetts law because it was part of the divorce um, agreement. So I followed their advice and uh, I showed up at the bait dean. My, I had chosen not to show up with my husband. He had gone previously. I didn't really want to be in the room with him. Um, and there was a designated representative who represented him, who stood in, quote unquote, for my ex-husband. But I was the only, there was another woman in the offices, but I was the only one who went in. And I was okay with that. I actually didn't realize there was an option for me to bring another woman, but I didn't ask for one either. I just was like, we're going to do it. Let's do it. Um, we went through the whole ritual aspect. It was a little intimidating. You're there in front of the three judges. You have the witnesses. Um, you have the stand-in for my ex-husband. Uh, so it was a bunch of men and me. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, we went through the the process, and it's a very fascinating ritual process that involves, at the end, they take this, the document that has been signed and they cut it with a knife. Um, which I, I was riveted by this. Like as a Judaic studies person, this was fascinating to me. I had never been cognizant or aware of this. Um, so I'm not sorry I went through with the process because I did feel a great sense of, uh, and it was an ending. It was a catalyst. Closure. It was closure yeah. in a way I didn't expect. And they took me aside afterwards and they said, this is actually a day of celebration for you. This is the beginning of your new life. And yes, they did give me some warnings like don't date a Cohen and, you know, stuff, stuff like that uh, going forward as, an, as a divorced uh, woman. But I did actually come away with that with a surprising amount of positive feeling considered how I felt when I went in. However, even though I went through this process and I am not sorry that I did it, I did still have questions about why I had to get one. I had to get, quote get unquote, one. one. Um, a lot, lot you could do with that one. Right, right, exactly. I did want to sever this connection entirely with my husband in the eyes of everyone, yeah. no matter what denomination they were part of. So I'm happy I did it. Under mm -hmm. Jewish law, it's clear that the preference is that you 
um, get a get from yeah. that kind of marriage because there was certainly intent and there was right. certainly an exchange of rings. That's true. And, um, and even though uh, there are circumstances in which you could get remarried without a get and mm. we could somehow annul that first marriage, we could say, well, it was kind of questionable right. under Jewish law. We certainly prefer to have people get a get. And even, by the way, if they are in a very long time relationship, there are some rabbis because Jewish law recognizes common law marriage. Um, so the preferred sort of answer is if both people are agreeable Let's do the get. If two people get married and both of them are Jewish, mm-hmm. then um, a divorce, a Jewish divorce, is the best way to go. And one of the things that your story made me think about is that um, there are a lot of people used to be, we used to think, or people used to think, that the get was an orthodox issue. So I think there's got to be um, a real understanding that this is not an orthodox issue. This is yeah. a Jewish issue. Yeah. And this is an issue also um, close to my heart because it's a feminist issue. Kali, your story is different. Talk a little bit about your experience. So I grew up reform and I was married in a reform Jewish ceremony with a ketubah. When my ex-husband and I divorced, the get never came up and it wasn't really something I thought about because as we said at the beginning and you mentioned, I thought it was something just for Orthodox couples and I didn't really know much about it. So a year or so after our divorce, my ex-husband said he had hired a rabbi to write a get and that um, I could receive it if I wanted. I didn't really understand why it was coming up now or why it was important. And it did at that time cause me a lot of emotional turmoil and distress. I was really confused and I was really troubled by what I perceived as this patriarchal process. And I didn't really want to participate in it. Um, But as a rule follower, I had a hard time saying no to this rabbi, this authority who kept contacting me saying, I hope you will participate. Uh, Thankfully, my brother-in-law is a rabbi at a reform synagogue in Boston. And I felt like I just couldn't really deal with it and talking to this rabbi who was contacting me. So my brother-in-law talked to him and said, Kali doesn't want to have to go to a rabbi's office. She doesn't want to go to the bait dean. Like I I can fill out the paperwork where they ask for the Jewish names and the information so he could write the get. Um, So he sort of took care of that so that I wouldn't have to. So I did not end up having a get ceremony or going to see a rabbi of any sort. And then some months later, um, without my physical participation, I did receive in the mail a certificate saying that I am divorced according to Jewish law. Um, So that was a little confusing because I didn't actually um, receive it or go through the process that Miriam talked about. Right. (laughs) I didn't actually do anything. I just received this in the mail. Um, It was called the Pater certificate. Is that right? Um, Yeah. So So the whole thing was really confusing. I didn't really have any guidance and I got mixed messages from people that I talked to about it. And so I am curious how you would have advised me in that situation. Um, And part of it is that I, I didn't feel that I needed any additional closure at that time. It was a year or so after the divorce, um, and so it wasn't something I felt like I needed from a ritual perspective. Also, it was like an out of the blue. It was situation. right because it wasn't something that had ever come up before. So I think just being contacted in that way um, 
was really surprising. And then I was like, I don't know what to make of this information. I don't really know what to do. Um, I want to be a quote unquote good girl and participate if, if I need to, but I was really struggling with, um, the sort of, um, as a feminist, like the process of what it was and, and needing to be released. Um, and I did find out later that my ex-husband was planning to remarry. So I'm sure that is part of the reason that he contacted me at that time, but I didn't know that. So it seemed very out of the blue for me. So, um, I think that that is probably true for a lot of women who, um, who get married within, you know, either the reform movement or, or in, in, in a way that they just really have never really come into contact right. with, um, with ritual in that way. Mm-hmm. And certainly not with a patriarchal sort right. of ritual. <laughs> and I think it is off-putting and mm-hmm. I've seen it a lot. And um, I think that one of the reasons that the um, this conversation is so important and why I'm trying so hard to um, promote both the website and um, and what we're doing and Get Ready is that I think there needs to be a little bit of more education around this. Leah considers part of that education to be reframing Jewish divorce as a mitzvah and an important Jewish ritual. People think of a mitzvah as like rah-rah, right? Yeah. Hanukkah candle. Right. But you know what? There are morning rituals. Mm-hmm. And morning rituals are not necessarily yeah. jump and joy and, and, and hire a band and you know, bring out the food. Yeah. It's more of there are rituals that can provide spiritual nourishment during times of challenge. Mm-hmm. Now, that's another way to think about the get process. I'm not saying it has to be that way. Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's another way to think about it. Now, you might not have wanted that, even that. Mm-hmm. You know, It might have softened the understanding of it. And you might say, well, actually, you know what? No, no, thank you. Right. But what's really important to understand is that there's another person involved. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's really important to start talking about the idea that when two people get divorced, a Jewish divorce is their right Mm -hmm. for both parties. If they choose to remarry in the conservative movement or the Orthodox movement, they're going to need it. Mm -hmm. It's not a gift. It's a right. I feel like I didn't have someone like you to frame it in a way that really resonated with me or even made sense to me. Um, so that caused me, I think more struggle and turmoil to try to navigate my way, um, through that because I, I do see the value in, um, you're, you're starting your marriage with a ritual. So it makes sense to end it with a ritual, but I think because it came out of the blue and it, and it seemed removed so far from the civil divorce that, um, it seemed like the time had almost like passed or something Yeah, for me to need more closure. Um, You know, I think the best process is to do it together in Mm -hmm. some way within 30 days like yours was, Mm. or um, some people actually can take care of it before Um, you mentioned Mm -hmm. a pator, which is sort of a, um, a voucher or a letter that says you're divorced, but rather, but actually what's interesting is that you don't get the actual get. Right. And you That's mentioned right. that it was, yeah, I'm that it waiting was destroyed. For my receipt. Yeah. <laughs> so you're waiting for your receipt. Yeah. Take so some they, time. they destroy the, the, the parchment. Correct. And I'm like, what? And then they're like, don't worry. We send you a receipt in the mail. It's like this handwritten. One, yeah. It's hand. <laughs> so they're, they hand wrote this beautiful parchment and then, then they, they cut have. it. And there's a reason for that. Right. Um, did they explain that to you? Yeah. The reason for that is that, um, the get actually, it's very, very important um, on how it's written. There are a lot of sort of laws around how it has to be written. The names have to be written a certain way. Uh, yeah. I think you, you might remember that uh-huh. they ask you about your names. Um, so there is a fear that um, one party can say, you know what, I gave the wrong name. 
and there is no get anymore. Or, you know, I love. And so um, the idea is you gave the get, we put it in a place where nobody can ever find it, right. and nobody can ever question it. And we give you a Torah that says that you are divorced and end of story. So mm-hmm. I think that's yeah. actually a good reason. I think it's important that people, again, are yeah. educated on that. Mm-hmm. But I think in, in your case, and in so many cases that I see, um, the divorce process is so painful. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a sense of, you know, you didn't do this, so I won't do that. And in a lot of get refusal, which, um, you know, thankfully you didn't, neither of you um, had to deal with, mm-hmm. but in a lot of get refusal, I see people saying, you know, this is a favor I'm doing and mm-hmm. I'm not in the mood of doing a favor. <laughs> I'm not interested in having a get. It's you who's interested in get, having a get. And no, thank you. I had a case where a woman said, my husband cheated on me. Mm. And um, suddenly now he's like Mr. Morrell and Mr. Yeah. <laughs> Religion and needs a get like, you know, too bad. Right. And I and I'm very empathetic. And I really you know, there's a part of me that wants to say, yeah, you should screw him. But the truth, (laughs) the truth is that, again, um, it's it's sort of like saying you weren't nice to me and you don't deserve to ever see the kids again. Mm -hmm. In other words, there are certain things that you come to accept, I think, through a very, very difficult process of. We, we went through something together. Mm-hmm. We are connected in some way. And when we dissolve this, um, it's not always about revenge. And a get is something both people deserve because it is simply the dissolving of the marriage. And in the same way that you wouldn't withhold a civil divorce, mm-hmm. right? You couldn't say, well, I get that civil divorce, but you never get to have it, right? Because right. I hate you. Um, I would like to encourage people to think about the religious divorce in the same way. Mm-hmm. It's just the way that we dissolve a union. Mm-hmm. Um, someone actually recently said to me, someone who actually grew up Orthodox is Woo-hoo. no longer Orthodox um, and says, you know, I was never really interested in a get, but um, I'm beginning to hear people tell me her mother, who's still Orthodox, that when she dies and goes to heaven, which she doesn't even believe in anymore, <laughs> she will be, um, you know, forever tied to this man. And she says, look, I don't believe in any of this, but I'm not taking my chances. <laughs> you never know. You never know. Yeah. And I, you know, so the get process itself costs a few hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. As you said, you don't even have to be in the same room. Mm-hmm. It's pretty easy. Um, it, it frees up both people to get married um, in any ceremony that they want. It frees up both people to have future children that will be accepted by all Jewish people. It could provide spiritual closure. Mm-hmm. There's not much of a downside. Mm-hmm. Miriam, I think you're extremely brave for showing up at the Beit Dean to receive your get, especially alone. Thank you, Kali. That's very kind of you to say. I really couldn't bring myself to do that. I just couldn't reconcile it with my desire for equality, as I explained to Susan. Confusing and emotional for me because part of what I did not want to do was go into this room full of male rabbis telling me, okay, we're, you're released as property. Yeah. And so that I didn't want to do that part. So even though I didn't want to be, um, included sort of in and Don't this, worry, don't worry. It's on record. So they know you're released property. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Mm-hmm. They just handed you the get. You didn't really have to say anything. So mm-hmm. now he got what he wanted. Right. And, um, but it was, and they imposed yes. this religious act and this legal construct on you. Miriam, even though you went to the Beit Dean, I know you also dealt with this somewhat jarring experience of being released as property while also acknowledging it was a new beginning for you. 
Yeah, it was a weird experience. But at the same time, I did feel a real sense of freedom, both from my husband and from the truly exhausting divorce process, as I told Susan. Something that was fascinating about my experience when I went, and this was just two, three months ago that I went to the Beijing, um, they all went out of their way to be super nice. So even though we were going through the motions of this ritual, which you know, your property, I am property, you know, they, it was so, um, just jarring because that's what we were doing. But at the end, one of the rabbis took me aside and he's like, this is a great day for you. You are free to go. And like, this is the beginning, this is the beginning of the rest of your life, but they meant so well. And you could tell that this for them was not as we see it. Like they honestly, and it, and it was it was just so strange, but they really did see nothing, or it didn't seem to me that they saw anything inherently weird about that interaction. It was a natural, I'm sure, course of events. So if you aren't particularly observant or religious, why go through this process at all? Leah shared her take. And what I find so interesting is that it is especially true in the Boston area. <sighs> that people are looking to get a get for many reasons. Sometimes um, both are orthodox, but yeah. very often um, one is orthodox, one has left orthodoxy. One person might um, have never been orthodox, but is becoming more traditional. Mm. Very often we see someone who doesn't care about this at all, but they're dating someone who cares about it or dating someone whose mother cares about it. Well, and that's, what That's what, important. Exactly. And what I try to tell people is, as long, again, as long as there's no get abuse, which is a different conversation that I'd right. love to have. But if both people are willing participants, then as you said, you are severing a connection in front of your, your um, entire Jewish community. There's mm-hmm. nobody in the Jewish community that will refuse to marry you. So, um, and, and there, the get can provide spiritual closure. And I have a lot of women who say, look, I don't really care about any of this, right. but I don't want anyone to question the, legit, the, the Jewish legitimacy, right, of my future children. So I'm going to do it for them. So there is a lot of reasons that people do it. So what happens when both people are not willing participants, when one spouse withholds a get from another? This becomes extremely complex in Israel, where each religious group has its own court to deal with marriage and divorce. Jews have Beit Din courts, Muslims have Sharia courts, and so on. Susan helped us unpack the legal issues around this in Israel. All Jews have to get married in accordance with Jewish law and divorced in accordance with Jewish law. Um, this millet system, millet means religious community. So this was a, the, is a system that has been in place in Israel for hundreds of years. It started with the Turks, the Ottoman Empire, figuring at that time that they would impose civil law in all matters except for the matters of marriage and divorce. And most people weren't intermarrying during that period of time. So it was a way of giving autonomy to religious groups to impose whatever laws they wanted. Anyone, it doesn't matter if you believe in God, it doesn't matter if you're Reconstructionist, it doesn't matter if you're Orthodox, Conservative, Reform, you know, 
or atheist or agnostic, doesn't matter. If you are Jewish, then you must, and you're marrying another Jew, you must marry in an Orthodox ceremony, this Orthodox patriarchal androcentric ceremony, and must get divorced in that ceremony, right? I saw right away that there were quite a number of women who who were stuck in marital captivity because a husband who beat his wife or raped his wife or or um, committed adultery, uh, you know, was living with another woman, that was not enough for a woman, for the state to come in and declare her marriage over. If he didn't agree to the divorce, she was still held in marital captivity. And I'll go even further. Even if the state puts a man in jail for not giving a divorce, which they can do, she's still married so long as he refuses to give the get. Uh, Jewish marriage and divorce, as as I have now described it, is not what we Jewish women feminist activists want to encourage. And in Israel, the religious courts have exclusive jurisdiction over marriage and divorce, but they don't. That means they just get to to decide who's married and who's divorced. But there are other matters ancillary to the divorce. For example, child custody division of marital property, um, and the like. So in Israel, there's literally a race to the courthouse. There's a family court that can hear those ancillary matters, but they cannot decide for you who's married and who's divorced. Only the rabbinic court can decide for that. But, um, but the rabbinic court can decide those ancillary matters if they're the first court that was approached. So there's a ridiculous race to the courthouse in those matters. And it has serious implications which courthouse you go to. Being an aguna, a chained woman, has serious implications, including severe consequences for her children. I think the basic, the biggest major consequence of women who are not, who are not given a get is the fact that they can't get on with their lives. And they can't get on with their lives, not only psychologically, but also if they get on with their lives and they have a relationship with another man and they have a child with that other man, then that child will be stigmatized. And this is an important idea also, which we have to get our arms around. It's the idea of mamzer. So in Israel, uh, a a young woman who wants children um, cannot just merely thumb her nose at the at the system and say, well, I don't care about the gen and I'm going to get on with my life. And he, because the state will stigmatize her child, the state will put her child on a blacklist. And when a mom, when a child is stigmatized as a momser, that child cannot marry, that child and, and that child's progeny forever not just for one generation, but forever, cannot marry another Jew under Jewish law. And nobody really wants to get their child stigmatized. But um, it's, an, it's important to note that that stigmatization only occurs if the woman was married under the uh, patriarchal system that I previously described. There's other consequences, also legal consequences, theoretically. If a woman uh, does get on with her life, not only might her children be stigmatized, but she might 
not be allowed to marry another man under Israeli law, under Orthodox Jewish law, and when she might be branded as an adulteress or a wayward woman by the state again. It's a matter of closure, but uh, in Israel, it's really a matter of divorce, just like anyone would want a divorce in this country, if they were in a bad marriage and yeah. wanted to know that that uh, period of their life was over and that mm -hmm. they could get on with their life. So being held in marital captivity is not a good thing, you know, for anyone in, in any type of situation. To be held in a marriage that they don't want is something that most women would want to get behind them as fast as they could. Mm -hmm. And in Jewish law, the problem is that the state cannot come in and declare your marriage over. It's only the master, the Baal, the husband. We should probably point out that get refusal is an issue that affects men too, although the consequences are different. Here's Leah again. I just want to point out that it is, um, it is an issue that affects women um, in ways that it doesn't affect men, but it is also a growing problem for men as well. There are many women who are refusing to participate in the GET process. In Boston, it's almost 50-50. Hmm. Miriam and I continue to struggle with this idea of reconciling our place in a patriarchal religion with our feminism. We asked Leah for her thoughts on this. That's a difficult question for me. Um, I sort of call myself a neo-Hasidic feminist. And um, it's been, you know, the, the gender issues within um, traditional Jewish law have been a real struggle for me sort mm -hmm. of my whole life. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that it exists. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There is no question um, that Judaism was, I think, progressive for its time. Mm -hmm. The ketubah is a way of protecting women, right? Thousands of years ago. There's no question that it was um, a process that tried the best it could under um, a very cultural bias, right? Mm -hmm. That existed um, throughout the world. And it pushed back against that cultural bias in some ways. But Judaism is a patriarchal religion and right. there's really no getting around that. Susan shared her ultimate goal women not getting married in a patriarchal system to begin with. So what we radical feminist crazy uh, um, women and, and activists in general, not necessarily women only, want to do is see a way of getting married uh, religious, you know, in, under Jewish law that is not uh, this patriarchal androcentric system. Uh, there's a lot, been a lot of imagining of a new type of Jewish wedding. So there are many thinkers that are talking about how this new type of marriage would be constructed. Still, this may never be an option for Orthodox women. Men have a possibility of an out and women yeah. don't. So, but what's more interesting is that let's say a man says, you know what? I can't go through that. I don't want to pay for it. I don't, I can't do it. And he just moves to Argentina mm -hmm. and gets married and doesn't tell the rabbi that he, you know, that he has a second wife in Boston. Mm -hmm. The children of his second marriage are not illegitimate by Jewish law because originally and biblically he is allowed more than one yeah. wife. So mm -hmm. the consequences of get refusal or get abuse for a woman is much, much greater. If a man says, I will not give you a get, she has no recourse. Her future children will be considered illegitimate by Jewish law. And therefore, um, 
although I believe strongly that this is not an orthodox problem and I see it everywhere, it is much worse. So for an orthodox woman, right, she is truly um, stuck. She Mm -hmm. is not going to get married and say, well, you know what? So they won't be. My children will not be accepted, you know, in the orthodox community, but there are many reform communities in which they will be accepted or mm-hmm. I'm okay with this or I'm, I'm okay getting married by a reform rabbi, even though conservative and reform and orthodox rabbis won't marry with, get, with ah, sorry, without a get. Um, for an orthodox woman, those are not really options. They are yeah. options, but she would have to be um, really be willing to disconnect from her family, from her, from her community. And so um, get refusal or get abuse is on the rise in every segment of the Jewish community. Mm. But it is more tragic for the women I see who really want to be part of their community and they want to get remarried in that community and they want to raise their children in that community and they shouldn't have to be forced to choose. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, I think, speaks to what was one of my existential crises (laughs) involving remaining Orthodox, because I saw this, you know, first of all, I want to say there are a lot for anyone who doesn't know Orthodox feminists out there. This is not like, oh, my God, what? This happens. They exist. But it's an eternal struggle, a pull between wanting to be part of this community and part of this thousands and thousands of years of story that we are living out. And you you have that on the one side and you want to be part of it. On On the other, you feel like you are less. You are not a person as much as a man is. You know, you don't count in the same ways that a man does. Um, in every sense, like in terms of being part of a minion or, you know, being uh, uh, an allowable witness in certain circumstances, or in this case, you are bound to that man. Yes. You know, and you, these women who are deeply committed to um, being Shomer Mitzvot, being part of a, what we, I guess, term an orthodox observant life and part of that continuity would feel this incredible, horrific tension between the concept of leaving that community and the the possibility of having to stay within it and being like trapped in this situation. And it's, it's almost like, can't we, you know, you mentioned, you know, a thousand years ago, we had like a little update. Shouldn't we, I know things move slowly, but shouldn't we collectively understand that there have been changes in Judaism? You know, we can do this a little bit better. So, um, uh, you said that so beautifully. I think you've really described the tension for so many of us. Um, and uh, you made a choice, right, to, yeah. to leave that community. And I think many people do. And it's do. not an easy choice. And it's not an easy choice. There's a lot that we give up, yeah. right? Um, I've made a break with the Chabad community mm-hmm. in the sense that I certainly don't feel like I represent um, uh, all of their uh, values yeah. and all of the um the, the things that uh, that are sort of the norm in that community. However, I love Chabad, right? I mean, I love the traditions. I love the thought process. Yeah. The Rebbe was a cr- tremendous mentor I know. for me. Um, mm. So yeah, it's really difficult to create your own sort of um, spiritual identity, no matter how old you are. I think that there's something really exciting going on in the more modern Orthodox community right now. Um, there is there is this notion that it is possible to hold both things in your hands, you know, and in your heart. And the way I think of it is I believe strongly that there is real divinity. There's real, uh, there's a spiritual godly energy in the texts and traditions and um, mitzvot that we have. But I also know 
in my gut that these traditions were given to man and man developed them. And I say man specifically, (laughs) mankind, but Mm -hmm. also men Men. developed them in ways that enriched the Jewish community, right? Rabbinic Judaism is pretty much what we practice today. Um, And they also were men. And they um, developed this with cultural bias of where they lived, right? So the Maimonides, Rambam says that you can divorce a woman if she doesn't wear her veil when she leaves her home, which we don't, we don't do that anymore. But um, so there, there has been, there's no question that our history, where we lived, how we thought, um, and questions about um patriarchal in general, uh, you know, throughout the world, right, impacted Jewish law. And I think that there is a community out there that is willing to struggle and say, I am not willing to give up the richness, the divinity, the spirituality in my, in what belongs to me. And I am also not willing to sacrifice my ethical and moral um, sort of compass either. I am going to stay and struggle. And there have been, as you said, very slow progress. There are women rabbis in the Orthodox movement today, right? You guys should know this wasn't the case like 20 years ago. This is new, but it's real. It's real. And um, is it perfect? Absolutely not. For today, in in where we are today in modernity, um, there is a new understanding of gender. And we do not need to to sacrifice that on the altar of religion. We can have both. It will take a struggle. It may take years, right? We could just throw out all of the traditions and start again. We, that's an option, right? Some people do that. Some people say, let's re... And then there are those of us, I think, that are sort of stuck in this space and have chosen to be stuck in this space where we want to think about ways in which we can maintain some... Um, some of what we believe is the richness and divinity in our traditions yeah. and also hold on to what we feel is is important and right and true for us as women. And I think that's, that's an important struggle and one that we are um, kind of lucky to be having, hmm. right? Women didn't yeah. get to have this. That's true. Yeah, right? Years ago. So um, We so wouldn't have had these way. three women on a yeah. podcast talking about this yeah. halachic and moral and emotional issue. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I want to say, yeah, it is a moral issue. It is a difficult thing to talk about as a feminist. Um, but it is also the halachic system that gave us a lot of wonderful, rich things. And I'm not willing to throw it away. Both Leah and Susan outlined what they see as solutions to the get crisis, both here and in Israel. Here's Susan's take. We have a we have a, a prenuptial agreement that we particularly like mm-hmm. in the Center for Women's Justice. It's a prenup with teeth. <laughs> okay, it's not a prenup that uh, gives jurisdiction to the rabbinic courts as an arbitrator, and it's not a prenup that just merely allows for a, an increased spousal support, and which is subject to the discretion of the rabbinic court as an arbitrator. But it is an agreement, uh, in brief, which gives jurisdiction to the in Israel, and, in, and if it would be applicable here to the civil courts to decide all ancillary matters, and deems the withholding of a get as a form of abuse that entitles someone to damages. 
Leia described a similar initiative in the United States. At the at the Boston Laguna Task Force, one of the things that we did that um, that we're all very proud of that I I am hoping that we can um, extend and really publicize is um, a project that we call Get Ready. <laughs> like I there said, there's so a lot puns. you can do. Yeah, <laughs> I was actually behind a car on my way to on my way to teaching the other day, and I I saw something that said Get Ahead. I'm like, oh, I gotta Ooh. use that. <laughs> but anyway, um, so Get Ready is um, is a project that we started with the knowledge that we need to figure out a way to link these two systems um, in the states, similar um, to two things that has already that have already worked. One is the halachic prenup, yes, which um, has worked in a very tiny segment of the Jewish community that is signing it, which is really a very very tiny segment of the modern Orthodox community. Unfortunately, it hasn't hasn't gained much momentum outside of that community. But the point is to sign a prenup that says if he does not, in the case of a divorce, right before the wedding, if he does not, these are the, and and that can be um, hopefully upheld in, in the civil courts. There's some holes in it in Massachusetts. It would be difficult to uphold it because there is no financial disclosure that goes mm-hmm. with it. So it's complicated. But in 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 theory, it really does that. It links the two. In addition, as you may know, in New York, we have something called the Get Law, which um, which is basically says that a person can, should not be able to get a civil divorce until they remove barriers to religious remarriage. And um, so so women are somewhat protected in the state of New York. It's complicated too. There's a first get law and a second get law. What we are trying to do with Get Ready is to encourage the Jewish community to think about divorce in really a new way, that when you are going for your civil divorce, just from the get-go, it should become normal procedure to put in the clause that you put in. And that should just be standard procedure for all Jewish divorces. If we can get the word out to both divorcing couples and to lawyers in the legal community, that this is really good practice. It's actually really good practice in the Muslim community too. We actually work with the Muslim community to talk about ways in which both communities are Mm. dealing with this. But um, the Get Ready campaign, which we developed with an incredible group of um, lawyers and a, a retired judge and rabbis on the rabbinical court, came up with language that would work in both legal systems, um, that would not be considered coercion. Right. Because, right. We can't, we have to avoid coercion or else it invalidates it. Correct. So we don't want it to be um, coercion. We also wanted, of course, not to cross boundaries with the church state issue. So it was a complicated process. We did it in Massachusetts. We have a great, um, a great uh, system. Uh, We have a, we have a, if you get onto the Get Your Get website, you can get more information about it. But Get Ready is something we really want to publicize for the for the general um, public and for the legal community as another tool, another way, another remedy mm. for this growing problem of get abuse, which is not an orthodox problem because right. people seek get for various different reasons. We asked Susan if she thought it was possible to resolve this issue through the rabbinate in Israel. The con- I think it would be good if we all got together and said, listen, we don't want Jewish marriage to be about this patriarchal and just yeah. misogynist system. We want it to be one of equal. Yeah. And that means that women should be entitled equally to get out of the marriage or to, or to 
writer writer of manumission, if you will, Mm -hmm. to their husbands as their husbands are to them. And that we have to reconstruct this. But what we're trying to do in Israel, women are specifically avoiding marriage altogether. They're living as common law marriage and Mm -hmm. wife, uh, a husband and wife, so as to avoid the need for the writ of manumission. They're Mm -hmm. saying, no, if we can't, if we can't release our, if we can't be in a situation where the state, you know, is 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 considering us to be in this type of relationship, then um, then we don't want to get married at all. We have to have transparency mm-hmm. here, you know. And and I think it's the interest of the rabbinic courts here to expand their powers and their jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. And I think it's in the interest. I don't, I obviously they're not going to say this is a patriarchal androcentric misogynist system, but, and I'm sorry, I'm repeating it like mm-hmm. a mantra, but I just, I, I, and I wish I didn't have to. Is that a controversial thing for you to say? Like, well, not among us. It's rat- factual. Not, right. not among us feminists, <laughs> but, but, right. but, but I, I think if, if uh, if you had a rabbi sitting next to me right now, yeah. they said, mm-hmm. "Oh, that's not true," you know. And I, so I don't think the rabbis are going to say, "Oh, I want you to enter into this patriarchal relationship mm-hmm. where I am the master and you are the servant." I don't think they intentionally mm-hmm. want to dominate right. mm-hmm. women. What do you think of that possibility or likelihood, or do you think do you think it's possible to resolve this within within halacha? Yes and no. Is that a fun, a fun yeah. question? Mm-hmm. I think that. But the system is so rigged, okay, mm-hmm. that it's kind of, it's very, very hard. For example, do I think so? Yes. I think anything is possible of reinterpretation, and I think things change all the time. Uh, so theoretically, it's, I think it's a social construct. I think any social construct is socially reconstructable. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I think that is possible, and that's basically what's saying. If you want to, reconstruct it. However, that said, I think that the notion that God said that only a man can give a get, which, by the way, is, in, in my opinion, in the Torah itself. I don't recall reading that in the Torah. It's like set in stone, so it makes it hard to reconstruct. These are ways that um, language and ideology and discourse work to to keep power relations in place. So even though, yes, theoretically, I think it can be reconstructed, I think that it has very powerful uh, social uh, um, um, shackles. Yeah. What gives you hope around this issue? Does anything give you hope around this issue? Uh, Yeah. Good. First of all, uh, uh, people in Israel are are voting with their feet. They're avoiding the rabbinate. They're saying, first of all, the state can't impose religious laws on me and I'm going to decide how I'm going to get married. Some of them choose to get married in this patriarchal androcentric system anyway, outside of the rabbinate. Mm. But they're also understanding more about these social shackles that are coming on. They're uh, signing these prenups that are have more teeth you know, in which they say, listen, we have to get married, uh, you know, this way, because that's how my grandmother got married. And my mother got married. And if my, 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 my uncles and my aunts and my parents are there, they're, they're going to have a fit if I don't get married this way. So I'm going to give myself a seatbelt and fix things. You know, I'm going to do as best as I can in the, under the circumstances. 
And I think that just the fact that we're having this podcast is very hopeful because if I can say what I can say and, you know, people can at least listen and think that, you know, maybe there is something to it mm-hmm. and, uh, and begin to understand, I think that's great. And I think this is the awakening of feminist consciousness in the Jewish world. So I think that is hopeful. We hope this episode was informative and eye-opening. We'd like to extend our thanks to Dr. Susan Weiss and Leah Lipsker for their profound expertise on these issues and for taking the time to talk with us about our experiences. To learn more about their work and the GET process, check out our show notes. Be sure to follow at Jewish Boston on social media and subscribe to The Vibe of the Tribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or TuneIn. You can also email us at podcast at jewishboston.com with your comments, feedback, and ideas for future topics and guests. Thanks, as always, to our editor, Jesse, and our composer, Ryan, and to all the Jewish women who have had to deal with this issue for the past several thousand years. <laughs>